which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You sing a song like that, Jesus be my everything, and I don't, I don't question that anybody here means it. But I would suggest that the reality of that is a journey. Because I'm not there. Sometimes I'm close. But most of the time, I'm living on another edge. In another playing field. And I don't think that that is unintentional. I think that's part of the way of life that we see of everyone who ever attempted to be obedient to Jesus. It was just the same way. Now, as we get older, we might get more proficient at it, but sometimes I think in my life that I'm becoming more proficient because I just don't have the energy to do the other stuff anymore, right? I'm not tempted to do as much as I used to be tempted to do because it's just not there. It's gone away. But uh, I want to engage you in some of that journey this morning from some people in the the Bible, and I want to ask you to think for just a second. Who is your favorite New Testament character excluding Jesus? Can't use Jesus. John. Why? Okay. John. Very good. See on the screen where we're going? That's good. Who else? Who else has a favorite character? Timothy. Why Timothy? When I think about Timothy, I think um, it's okay for me to have room to grow or uh, I can see Timothy as a person in the past who was seeking God more clearly. So. Thank you. Good. Anybody else have another? Paul. Okay. Okay. Very good. Anyone else? David. David. We're good. Cool. Anyone else? Stephen? Okay. Talk to me about Stephen. Very neat. Now, now tell me, what do these characters have in common, these people? 
Okay, had relationships. Believers. What do believers do? Love God. Sorry? Trust God. Okay. They were witnesses unto Christ and to what He did. Right? They've got testimony about Him. What's the word that we use about people like that? Pardon? Disciples. Yeah. Followers. Or followers is equal to the what word? Disciple. If you looked in your bulletin, you know what I'm going to talk about, right? That's all you had to do. But... You also, if you know me, you know what I'm going to talk about because that's the theme of life that God has put into me. And I want to just kind of trace that for a minute. And we're going to be in the book of John, the Gospel of John, not First John like the pastor is right now, but in the Gospel of John. And I want to start in verse 29 and through the end of the verse. Now, I'm just going to talk about it, but I encourage you to open your Bibles there and just read it to make sure I don't miss anything as I'm talking about it. Because I'm also going into Matthew 4 and Luke 5 before it's over with because I think this is actually one story. That it all, all those scriptures lend to the idea of this story. But there's a character in the book of John named John called the Baptist. Now, he's not the person writing the book. He's not the person writing the book. But the first chapter of John is all about this character and Jesus But John the Baptist had his own followers, his own disciples. And some disciples were hanging out with John the Baptist, and Jesus comes and he gets baptized of John, and then he goes up into the wilderness to be tempted and to pray for 40 days. And after that, he comes back. And as he's walking back into John's camp, now John is camped out off the Jordan River, at a place called Bethany, beyond the Jordan is what they call it. And that's where he is baptizing and gathering his disciples, his followers, and doing his teaching. And as John is there, Jesus walks through camp one day, and John makes an unusual statement that some of his disciples hear. He says, look, there is the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Well, when your master or teacher or leader points someone out like that, what, is, what would you do? I'd pay attention. And I suppose they did, but they didn't act on it immediately. They thought about it. They waited. And then the next day, Jesus comes back through, and John says it again, just repeats it. And then he goes into the explanation. I didn't even know who he was, even though he's my first cousin, essentially, And I've known him all my life. I didn't know he was the Messiah. But God gave me a sign. He said, when I baptize this guy, heaven will open, the Spirit will descend like a dove and light on him. And I saw that, and it identified who this guy was. And here, look, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And there are two guys standing there. One of them's name is Andrew. The other one does not identify himself because he's the guy writing. That's just kind of the way it was. It's a humility thing. Not one to call attention to himself, and he's writing. So we, we fairly well know that the other guy was John who was standing there. And as 
Andrew and John, who I call the adventurers. These two guys are the adventurous type. If you think about it, they should be fishing. Part of their dad's business, both of them are part of a fishing family, and they should be about 80 to 100 miles away. Now, these guys have tracked, and they didn't get in the car and go do this. But they've tracked down to where John the Baptist is, and, and they're hanging out with him, and I think they're on some adventure. Now, it may be that they desire to find what God is up to because this guy in the wilderness is really drawing a crowd. And he's got some strange things to say, and he's an oddball character. And, and they're just looking for that adventure. Or they may be looking for the adventure of God in their lives. I'm not sure, but I just see that in them. That's the kind of people they are. And when Jesus comes by and John says, The Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world, they just look at each other and go, Why not? And they start following Jesus. And as they begin to walk after Jesus, Jesus notices that they're following him. And he turns around and he says, essentially, can I help you? What are you looking for? And that may be even a more profound statement than we realize. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Jesus did that later in another section when a bunch of religious leaders have gathered around him, and he says, when you went out to see John, what were you going to see? What were you looking for? And I think that's a question in all of our lives. I think we are in a time, even in the believer's life, even in a Christian's life, that we're thinking to ourselves, isn't there more to it than this? Isn't there something that we're not missing or we're... We're not, we're not connecting with. Isn't there something God wants of me that's more than just sitting in a pew on Sunday? Or more than participating in religious services? Isn't there something else? Because, let's be honest, there is a law of diminishing returns to this. Right? It's nice to get together. I was thanking God today in my prayers with the family, that I was going to get a chance to get together and to get to know some of you even more and to enjoy your fellowship and friendship. And I was was grateful for that. But in about 30 years, I'm going to have about as much as that as I can stand. You know? The law of diminishing returns. There's got to be something more to it than this. And there is. And Jesus is asking that question of his followers What are you looking for? What were you expecting? Were you expecting that this bam, aha moment that happened in your life when you came to Christ was going to end up becoming mundane? I don't think you expected that. Is there something more? There is. They looked at him, and of course, I guess it kind of surprised them when they asked that, and their answer was, uh, uh, where do you live? Where do you stay? Jesus' invitation to them is classic. Well, come and see. Just come and hang out with me for a while. Come and hang out. Come and get to know me. Spend time with me. And, and they do. I don't know exactly how many days transpire between that moment and and the days in which he travels this 80, 100 miles 
to the village where he ends up in this story. But we do know that in the process, Andrew gets to believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And he goes and he finds his brother, Peter. And he tells Peter, we have found the Messiah. The one that the prophets speak about. We found him. He's written about. And and Peter comes with Andrew then. And an amazing thing transpires. Jesus meets Peter and he looks at Peter and he says, You're Cephas, but you're going to be, or you're Simon, but you're going to be Cephas. In other words, you're Simon, but I'm going to give you another name. Translated today, it might, we might have called it Rocky. But what it means is, you're a, Cephas means a reed bent by the wind. That's not a compliment in that day. Andrew, on the other hand, means manly. His daddy named him Manly. And he looked at Peter and said, Reed bent by the wind. Which is essentially this, wishy-washy. Tossed about by the wind. Changing your mind often. Now you can imagine what that set up in two grown men. What kind of competition was going on between them. I stood on the sidelines with Central Gwinnett this week down at Grayson as they were playing football. Not a good day for Central Gwinnett. But there are two brothers that play on that team. One is older and very much in the spotlight. Very much in the spotlight. Well, the younger one was on kickoff return, and he fumbles the ball. And they yank him immediately. Now, older brother can do anything he wants to do, right? Because he can get away with it because he shines and he's a senior. The younger brother is standing there, and I see it all over him. Sorry. Can't get it down any further. Younger brother is just, he's near tears. And I just walk up. I put my arm around him, and I I say, you got to let it go, man. you got to let it go. you got to forgive how they've offended you, and move on. I know you're dealing with a bunch of junk right now. And he just breaks, tears flooding down. He's heaving and all of that. And I just see that same struggle inside Peter. He's got a younger, I'm an older brother whose name is Manly. And they're calling him Wimp. Wishy-washy. And how do we know that it bothers him? Because Jesus addresses it. I know that's what you're called, but you're going to be called Peter. I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to change you from your vision of who you think you are to who I know you are. That's what God does in our lives when we become His follower, when we surrender our lives to Him. He begins a journey. It doesn't happen in a moment. Chris and I were just having that conversation in prayer time about the transformation that God does in our lives. It it doesn't happen all at once. It didn't in my life. Now, some people have amazing, immediate transformations, but for the most part, it's a total journey of life that I gained some and I slipped some. I have victories and I have failures, but God is there helping me through all the way. And He makes that promise to Peter. Makes that promise to Peter. And Peter has those moments. In Matthew chapter 16, it says that when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? Peter goes, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus said, wow, way to go, Peter. I know nobody revealed that to you but my Father in heaven. Now, that's an amazing moment. There's been a whole religious movement based on that one statement around Peter. And I just tell them, read about four or five verses later when Jesus looks at Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You have successes and you have failures. And that's the disciple that's there. The follower that's beginning his journey, whose name is Simon, who will be Peter. He will no longer have to live in the shadow of his brother. He will no longer have to live up to the expectations of his father. All he's got to do is be with Jesus. And it will work itself out. Jesus will work it out. So they continue to join each other for a few days and Jesus decides that it's time to move from Bethany up to Galilee. And he begins that journey, and it says on his way, Jesus finds Philip. I think Philip is a very special guy as well. Philip, to me, is a man who is a friend, a friend, you know, a real friend, a true blue friend. Jesus finds Philip, and Philip goes and finds a guy named Nathaniel. That's why I think that. It's because he has no apparent relation to Nathaniel other than their friends. And he's down, I don't know how far away, they all lived at the northern site of um, the Sea of Galilee. And they're down at the northern side of the Sea of the Dead Sea. And Peter, uh, Philip has come down there, and instead of hanging out with John, he's visiting his friend Nathaniel. And he goes back and he finds Nathaniel, and Nathaniel is a skeptic. Philip says, is there anything good that comes out of Nazareth? Or Nathaniel says that. And, and Philip just says, well, come and meet him. Come and see him. Come and know him. We found him. And Jesus comes and finds Nathaniel then and, and convinces him. He was a skeptic. Now, why am I giving you all of this? Because I want you to see that they're not all the same kind of people. They've all got their issues and personality quirks, quirks and they're just different people, but God brings them all into this fold of followers and believers. But I want to ask you a question as you look at that. Who put this group together? Ultimately, yes, but how did he do it? Who invited each one? They determined who was going to be in the group based on relationships. They got to determine. Can you believe that? God left it up to them to decide who was going to be in the group of disciples. Now, ultimately, Jesus goes up in a mountain, prays all night long, and comes down and verifies it. But to begin with, they picked their friends and their brothers you see that? The invitation came from them going out and inviting. It's not different than what it is today. Oh, if only Jesus walked the earth and could say this one and this one and that one. Hmm. Not even how he did it when he walked the earth. 
He let them pick. Now, he did pick Philip. But I think that's because leadership has got to set the example, right? If I'm going to ask you to do it, I've got to do it too. And I think that's why Jesus picks Philip. Just to set the example. Now, we need to fast forward. I don't know how long it's going to be we're fast forwarding, but we know Jesus is still in the area where they all live. But he's not hanging out with them today. Peter, Andrew, James, John all work in the same very basic location on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They're fishermen, and they have been fishing all night one night. And they're, you know, they're not hanging out with Jesus now. And by the way, just pair that with the statement Jesus makes later, I have other sheep too. What's Jesus doing in that time he's not hanging out with Peter and John and James and Andrew? He's putting other groups together. We just don't have that focus, right? Don't have that focus. We're focused on what the Scripture shows us, what the Bible tells us, what the report is. And that's great. That's fine. We just know that this is not a one-time thing. This is not a a once-and-for-all make-or-break group of guys there. God has others. How they chose, I don't know, but we know how this one was. But we know that after they hung out with Jesus for a period of time, he's off doing something else, and they are by the Sea of Galilee after fishing all night, washing their nets. Now, we're in Matthew. You go to Matthew or Luke, either one. Matthew chapter 4, At this, by this point. And Luke chapter 5 says that people were so interested in hearing Jesus' teaching that they were pressing in on him, even to the point he felt like they might push him out into the Sea of Galilee as he walked by. So he walks by and he sees Peter washing the nets from the night before. They're ready to to pack up, go to the house, get some shut-eye, rest for the day. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I don't know what that did for Peter. And Peter probably, knowing Peter, he probably looked at him and just, what? But Jesus then says, Peter, I'd like to get in your boat. You cast out a little from shore, and then in a way there'll be a buffer between us, and I can teach the people. So Peter complied with that. He already knew Jesus. This isn't something he did without having a prior relationship to Jesus. So Peter lets Jesus get in his boat. He pushes out a little bit from shore. Jesus teaches the crowd. And when he's through teaching, he says to Peter, let's go fishing. What's your response if you're Peter at this point? What do you do every day? What do you spend eight hours a day doing? And after that, the preacher comes to your house and then says, let's go do that for another eight hours. How would you be? Just like Peter was. He said, oh, man, Master, we fished all night. And we caught nothing. And not only that, but in the back of his head, he's thinking, and I've cleaned the nets. What does Jesus say? 
doesn't say anything at this point, does he? You ever get that from Jesus? You complain to Jesus, or you ask Jesus, or you... And, and nothing. You think he just started that with you? Peter realizes, I'm not going to sway this guy. And then he just looks at him and said, Nevertheless, Master, if you insist, we'll go do it again. Jesus says, Launch out into the deep and do this, which is at that time of the day apparently something that fishermen would say, What? No, you don't do it that way. Fish are going to be at a different place during this time of the day. But he does what Jesus said, and we know this story is that, that they began, their nets were so full of fish it began to sink their boat, and they had to call for John and James to come over and help them catch the fish. And Peter is so blown away by it that he gets on his knees and says, "Just, I'm a sinful man. Forgive me. And, of course, I'm paraphrasing a lot of this. You understand that this is a story in my head. It's not just something written on the page. This is just so real to me as I imagine it because I've been there when I had to get before Jesus and say, I'm a sinful man. I didn't believe in you. I didn't trust what you were telling me to do. I didn't expect that you had my best interest in mind. Jesus says, no problem, Peter. Don't worry about it. From now on, you will fish for men. I think that's important that that statement is made because it's, it's definitive of the process. How do you learn to be a fisher of men? How do you learn to do that? Bible study? Do you learn, how many of you here like to fish fish? Anybody? There's a couple, three, four, five. How do you learn to do that? Read a book? Go do it, right? Just get out and do it. How many of you spend a lot more time per fish than you'd like to, that you catch? Yeah. Yeah. There's a... There's a mentality of some people who really don't like to fish that if I can catch fish, I like to fish. Yeah. As long as I'm catching, I'm fine. But how many hours do you sit on the water and nothing happens and you have to try something else and then try something else and then finally? And, and what I learned is if you can figure out who knows how to do that already and go with them, you're in a lot better shape. But that's how this works out. Jesus reveals the plan to them right there. You shall be fishers of men. You will learn how to be fishers of men because from now on you'll fish for them. You'll practice it. You'll Learn on the job training. And that's the plan Jesus has for you. Not for you to be released as an expert at doing it all at once. 
But I do think there's something to understand that, first of all, we want Jesus to be the director, the head of the plan. And then we want to also realize that it's a group project. It's not an individual project. Jesus isn't setting you off out there to do it on your own. Now, that's a problem in our day and time because, first of all, we do work hard. And when we're done working, what do we like to do? Relax. I want to go home. I want to push the button. The garage door goes up. I drive in. The garage door comes down. And I don't have to see anybody else for the rest of the day if I don't want to. How successful are you going to be with that? It's not going to work, is it? Not going to work. Now, Peter was tired. Andrew was tired. But what happened when they hauled in that load of fish? Changed their lives. It says, without being asked to at that point, they forsook everything and followed him. Now, does it mean they never went back to fish again? No, we see Peter and Andrew, all of them are fishing again. But I think what it means is their whole priority of life changed. Everything that they had possessed before, all plans that they had for their own lives, became submitted, surrendered, given over to Jesus. That was their attitude. You are welcome to interrupt my plans anytime. I will be listening for you to interrupt them. I will be asking for you to give me your plans. I will be seeking to be your follower. But it's not you going in, closing the door behind you, oh, turning on whatever form of entertainment or relaxation you want to find, and mindlessly spending the next three or four hours until dark comes so you can go to bed, not thinking about it. The call for you to be a follower. What is a disciple? What is a follower of Jesus? How would you define that? Uh, that, I'm, you're, I'm asking you to give your answer. How would you define? Pardon? Someone who emulates Christ. Emulates Christ. Okay, took me a minute to translate that word into my head. Emulates Christ. Right. Say it. Okay. Good. Let's look at the invitation because the invitation defines the call. Follows. Follow me. Now, following is not necessarily easy when you can't see and you can't hear the person who's leading you. Doesn't it seem to be kind of difficult sometimes to figure out what is the way that you're leading here? I think that's why you need the group. The experience. The group 
has the capacity to help you in determining how God is going. We, we had that just this morning in the group that meets here in the fellowship hall as we were trying to make a determination of something that we felt like the Lord was leading us to practice and to do. And we looked and says, okay, where does God want us to do this, apply this? And it was amazing how quickly a consensus came about between the group. There were options, but it seemed like everybody figured out what the best thing is to do together. And if you didn't and you didn't speak up, that's your own fault. But being a part of a group of people who are not just together for themselves, that too has a shelf life. If all you're doing is getting together to pat each other on the back or to soothe each other or to comfort each other, there's a part of that in all of it. But if that's all you're doing, then eventually that wears out too. Why? You're not accomplishing the goal of Jesus. But if you're, there is a group of disciples who are looking together to follow Jesus, he'll show up. He promised he would. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be in the midst of them. We see that emulated. That's your word, right? Emulated for us. In the, even in the group of disciples whenever there was a question. Should we allow Gentiles to be saved? What a question. I'm glad they came up with the right answer. And they figured it out because they got together and they discussed it and then they vocalized what they had discovered. It wasn't their decision. They just discovered it. It's what God had in mind. When there was a question about what was on the menu in Antioch, what should we tell them? Should they eat meat offered to idols? They got together, sought God on it together, and God revealed to them together. They gave an answer. And I'm not going to spoon feed you that. If you want to know the answer to that, look it up. Look it up. And that's part of the plan, see. Teaching us that we don't have to be spoon-fed. There is a way that you can look into the Scripture and identify what God is trying to say to you out of the Scripture and be a part of the conversation. Not just a part of the question. You can be a part of the conversation. That's something you need to learn as a follower of Jesus. How do you feed yourself and feed others out of the Word? Out of the Bible. It is your responsibility. I'm not a teacher. I don't care. Everybody here who has received is expected to give. If you're a follower of Jesus. You may not can give anything except what has happened to you, what you have experienced or what you have read or learned or been taught. That's fine. He doesn't ask for any more, but he does ask you, Keep your eyes and ears open and to seek to know. When he shows you something, be willing to pass it on. It's not complicated. 
but it is important that we join in and cooperate with the process of development in following him. And what will happen? Follow me and I will make you. I'm going to transform you. Whatever you think is your weakness is probably where God is going to press on you. And I probably, did I tell y'all, when God called me to what I interpreted at that time in my life, God called me to preach. I was a total introvert. They'd call on me in church to pray. I'd get sick to my stomach. Sweat. When I'd speak, it would sound like that because I was nervous. And within this is this was September, 1982. Last Friday, I don't know what the date was. Last Friday of September, 1982. And when I said yes to God, there were two Sundays between there and the end of the year that He did not have me in somebody's church speaking. And January the 9th, 1983, I took my first church on a regular basis. Now, I'm telling you, God can do miracles. But he pressed me where I was weak. Now, I know that scares you, doesn't it? I'm glad you told me that, preacher. That makes me just want to go jump in it right now. But you know what? I would rather do this than eat now. It took a while. It took a while to have the, the belief and the confidence that if God required it, He would take care of it. He would supply it. And, but He did, time after time after time, when I felt unprepared. And, and let me tell you, I never feel prepared. I still never feel prepared. But somewhere, time runs out, and you just got to get up here and do it. Just got to trust, and He's never failed. I can remember a message back. In the late 90s, probably, I did not have a message. And the only thing I could think of was a passage out of Jeremiah where it says that he did not have a word for the people. And I got up and opened that, and I read that and preached for 45 minutes on it. If you don't have a word, you shouldn't be saying it. And I talked about it for 45 minutes. You know, It's just amazing what God does when God has your surrender. That's how I went to God. I'm an introvert, God. You know what you're getting. But if you'll have me, I'll do it. Now I want to ask you, if you will, just between you and God right now, would you bow your head? Can you say that to God right now? You know who I am. You know what you're getting. But if you'll have me, I'll do it. I'll follow you. I'll seek to be in that supporting group of other followers. I'll surrender everything I have. It's yours. You want me to give it up? I'll give it up. You want me to use it for your plan your glory, I'll use it for your plan your glory. You want me to use it to sustain my life, I'll use it to sustain my life. What do you want me to do? Can you say that to him right now, right where you are?
See, this group of guys, they hung out with Jesus for a long time. They heard him teach. But sometime later, he shows up and gives them a challenge. Okay, guys, it's time to be more than just friends. It's time for you to quit kicking the tires. It's time for you to quit hedging your bets just in case and to sell out. And he was talking to people who knew he was the Messiah and who were as committed and dedicated to him as anybody on the face of the earth at that time. But he shows up and gives those people the challenge. Can you do that? Now, I know that the pastor here is issuing a challenge. And I know that he intends to provide to walk with you in that challenge. We've discussed it. And if you, in your praying, would say, you know what you're getting, but if you'll have me, I'll do it. And if you would surrender or submit yourself to this body to come alongside you and show you the things that need to be in your life in order for you to progress in this way, this body wants to provide that for you. This church and its leadership want to provide that for you. And what you can do with that is in in your bulletin, that little tear-out section, just write in there. I'm ready to follow Jesus. And there'll be somebody from this church contact you and follow up on your statement. Talk to you about it. Get you in the right place with the right people and help you move forward in this commitment. And I'd ask that you would do that. Just write that out. And God, I just pray that as you are working things out in their lives right now, as you are calling them to yourself, as you're challenging them to follow you and let you transform their lives into becoming what you intended for them to be all along. And the wow. If I had to describe my life right now in one word, it would be wow. Because you have begun to show me this. And I want to be the instrument of showing it to others and as they would just wrap their hands and heads around the wow factor here and let you take over I just pray for your spirit to give them that sense of excitement and peace the joy and love the, all the gift, the fruit that you intend to give them they can pack around for the rest of their lives. Grant that in this moment to have confidence in a decision to surrender all and to come right now just as they are 
and surrender it all to you. In your name I pray, Lord. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.